Hi, I'm Wendy Dean. And I'm Simon Talbot, and this is Moral Matters. We decided to do something different today. We are going to do an Ask Us Anything. So we're going to take your questions that you sent in by voice memo or by email or put on our Facebook page and use that as a way to answer the questions that come up fairly frequently. Simon, do you want to introduce the team who's with us today? Sure. So today um, on the podcast, we have Dave, who's our producer, who's um, uh, diligently working at making us uh, sound right. And we have Kenzie, um, who is uh, new with our group and is going to be uh, introducing some of the uh, topics that we talk about and some of the questions that we have. Kenzie, take it away. I think we've got some waiting. Sure. So we'll start with an anonymous question. What is moral injury and how does it differ from burnout? So this is uh, probably the most common question that we get asked. Um, And there's a lot of different ways of looking at it. And it's actually probably where... Wendy and I started um, when we started thinking about the whole concept of moral injury versus burnout. So burnout is defined as a bunch of symptoms, Um, exhaustion, depersonalization, and lack of accomplishment. It doesn't talk about how you get there or what the cause of it is. In contrast, moral injury is betraying one's own uh, deeply held moral beliefs um, or witnessing the same thing happening. and can end up with those same symptoms. Going through moral injury, you can still end up with burnout, but it's how you get there that differs. And perhaps one of the key things that comes up all the time when we talk about this is that um, when people use the word burnout, they often use it in sort of a pejorative way, in a way that uh, suggests that an individual is lacking in resilience. Yeah, I think that's, that's the biggest distinction that most people see is that it rather than saying that the individual isn't able to to manage their environment it's that the environment is actually part of the problem and that if we were able to fix that that part of the environment um it would be they would be quite comfortable in their work and able to do it better great so our next question is actually environment related is moral injury only something that soldiers and healthcare workers can experience? <laughs> um, so I think this one ha- got it was answered for us pretty much the day after our first article was published, when we heard from veterinarians and teachers and public defenders, respiratory therapists, um, folks across many different um, work sectors who recognized it as a challenge for them as well. So it is not just soldiers. It's not just healthcare workers. Um, it is. It seems to be a growing problem facing workers across our, our society today. And I think, it's, I think it's fair to say that when your work has a moral or an ethical component to it, there is the ability to... Uh, see transgressions of that moral or ethical uh, framework, and that's why that's th- those are the kind of positions that we see moral injury in. Great. Our next question comes from Julia, and she is wondering, doctors Dean and Talbot, what's been a personal experience of moral injury for each of you? 
How did you handle it in the moment and then after? So, Wendy, why, why don't you start with your story? Because yours is, 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 a, is, a, is a long story, but, um, but a really interesting one. So I, I had a lot of challenging experiences when I was in training. But the, probably the most difficult one that I had was when my husband was ill. And several years ago, three or four years ago, um, he has a, a heart condition that he was born with and it and had been great for years. And then it started gradually started getting worse. And um, we couldn't get the attention of our local physicians. Um, it, it was really hard to get them engaged. Eventually, his condition worsened enough that he was hospitalized. And even in the hospital, it was really hard to sort of light a fire under the team that was taking care of him and help them to see the urgency that we felt in the situation. And what I realized at the time, when I when I finally could take a breath and take a step back from the situation myself, I, I saw that they felt powerless. Um, so those, those clinicians felt like no matter where they turned, they weren't doing the right thing. If they took care of my husband, they weren't taking care of their, their organization. If they took care of their organization, they weren't taking care of my husband. And they were almost, it was almost like they were paralyzed in that situation. Their hands were tied so tightly that they couldn't move. And it was at that point that I realized this isn't just about the clinicians that experienced this. This is kind of also rolling down into patient care and patient outcomes and that's when I felt like it was time to start talking about it in a different way, in a bigger way, and start taking action. What about you, Simon? So my story is, is, um, is, is very different. And I think that's one of the key things about this is everybody experiences this in different ways and comes to these um, situations differently. Um, my story began when like many people around the country, I was asked to do one of these burnout surveys that the hospitals are asking us to complete. And um, I sort of filled it out and, and felt kind of guilty at the end at, at how bad my score was. And uh, like a, a good scientist or clinician, I, I went and read everything I could about burnout and tried to find out everything that was in the literature and everything that was being done out there. This was a handful of years ago now. And, you know, these... Um, Groups talked about coaching and they talked a lot about things like yoga and personal resilience approaches. And at that stage was when I started talking to Wendy about this uh, as a friend. And together we realized that that the concept of uh, burnout didn't really fit what, what I was struggling with and didn't really fit what we uh, had both uh, seen out there. And so it was really in that conversation that... I realized that moral injury was a far better descriptor of what was going on in my world. Um, the second part of the question you asked, Kenzie, was what do you do about it at that stage? Well, that was really the genesis of um, what we are doing now, which was moral injury of healthcare, to look into this in more detail and uh, begin to raise some awareness about this and begin to start talking about some of the uh, systemic solutions to a problem that is very much systems-based. You know, and I think for me, in my situation, just being able to take a step back and realize what was happening, that I, that we weren't just being ignored, that there was some other, there was some other force at play 
allowed me to approach the situation in a different way and to say, oh, okay, this opens up a new set of solutions for me. So I can empathize. I can engage in a different way. I can ask how I can be helpful to them. I can be more curious about the situation so that um, it became less conflicted and more um, a collaborative effort at care. So now Dave's going to play some recorded questions. Hey guys, our first caller is Kim from Delaware. Let's see what she has to say. Hello, this is Kim from Wilmington, Delaware. I've been in many doctor's offices with a doctor sitting at a desk and they're sort of face sideways and they type into their computer um, and they'll say, well, how, how was your vacation? And then they'll start typing away and so you know they're not really listening to you. I wondered if it was appropriate to kind of, quote, train these doctors by speaking up and saying, excuse me, why, why are you typing and asking me a question at the same time? Or that just seems to be very dismissive or rude or, or something like that. Um, so I just wondered if, if that was appropriate for doctors or if that would just uh, piss them off. I know they don't have much time. I would prefer that they just not pretend to be listening to what I'm saying while they're typing into their chart. Hope that makes sense. Thanks. So this is a, this is just a, a great question and a perfect example of where the problem of moral injury goes from being something that we think of as a physician's problem to something that affects the patients and frankly everybody. And I think this is an example that almost all of us have seen or experienced whether we're a clinician or whether we're a patient or or in any way. And I think the first thing to say is that I don't think many of those doctors want to be in that situation either. They want to make a connection with you. There's an awful lot um, in front of them and there's an awful lot of checkboxes. And I don't think many doctors want to be uh, facing the computer screen and not talking to you when they're doing that. Yeah, but isn't it heartbreaking that we've gotten to the point where we have patients who are now saying, I don't, I'd rather that they didn't pretend to listen to me. I mean, that is, that is just a heartbreaking level of disconnection. And what I would love to see is, and this is really hard to do, I think, as a patient, but for those patients who are able to be able to reach across that, that divide and say, gosh, it looks like if you have to do this all day, every day, it must be really hard. And it must be really hard for you to help patients think that you're attending to them while you have to attend to this other thing, the electronic medical record. Is your, is your organization doing anything to help you with that? Are they making it easier for you to engage with your patients and fill out your paperwork at the same time? Are they reducing your paperwork? All right, so our next caller is John from Colorado. Let's see what he has to say. Hey, this is John from Colorado. My question is, what can those of us who are not doctors do to help? Would you have us call our doctor's office or our hospital system or our legislature? Or what what are we supposed to do to help? Thanks. What a great, straightforward question. Right. I, 
I part of me wants to say a little bit of each of those, whatever you feel comfortable with. Um, it's we need folks to understand, especially folks like John, who it sounds like understands this problem and has empathy for it to say, to be curious out there and say, our doctors need help. How are we helping them? Our nurses need help. How are we helping them to better take care of their patients without all of these barriers in the way? Okay. And our last caller is Chris from Texas. Hi, this is Chris from Dallas, Texas. I'm a retired primary care physician and I'll be honest, the, one of the reasons I, I retired was because I felt like I was burnt out. You know, I was spending so much time on the stupid electronic record system that we had to use, and I just couldn't take it anymore. I was spending more time doing the computer than I was spending with my patients, and it just got to the point where I, I, couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. And uh, after I quit, you know, I, I've been thinking about it, and I realized that the problem wasn't me. I, I was fine. It was the stupid system that was forcing me to use this ridiculous, this ridiculous electronic record. And, and anyway, uh, I've been listening to your stuff and, and reading your stuff, and I think you're you're spot on. I mean, the problem isn't it isn't physicians, right? We're 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 resilient people. It's not that. It's the system that is causing us to feel injured. Um, so I guess my question for y'all is, as a retired physician, what is it that I can do now to help fix the system and, and, and uh, you know, maybe help make things a little bit easier for, for those who are struggling through this right now? Anyway, um, thanks for listening, and uh, good luck to y'all. So... Chris, one of the um, one of the things that's that's very important when we're looking at solutions and and looking at how to approach this is to think of ourselves as a community and maintain those community connections. So, as a retired physician, the opportunity to raise your voice um, and talk about this kind of thing and explain the uh, impact it's had on you and the run-on effect that it's had on your patients, for example, uh, having left the profession as well as using an influence you have, you know, the, the people you know, the connections you have, um, particularly those uh, who are uh, influential and high up. And then, of course, staying active in the medical societies out there so that um, going forwards, those people that are able to bring about systemic change are, um, are both aware of this and, and have heard it from multiple different perspectives, not just active clinicians who are seeing this day to day, but also those who have left and particularly those who have left because of this. Yeah. I also think, um, the, the one thing that practicing clinicians don't have a lot of is time. And if you've left practice, you have more of that. And if you want to use any of it to help those who are still practicing, um, that's a tremendous gift. So you just mentioned that practicing clinicians don't have a lot of time. We just got a question. Are there collective actions that healthcare workers can take to directly combat moral injury? So this is, this is a question that I think a lot of people ask. Some, and, and one of the things that comes up really frequently is, 
it, are we in a situation where physicians and and um, other healthcare workers should start unionizing? And a lot of nurses already are. There are some physician unions out there. Um, but it's a question that's arising more and more as clinicians, physicians in particular, are feeling they're entering into an employed situation which hasn't been common for them. Um, but I think one of the things to know about uh, setting up a union is that it takes time. And it is complex. And it requires expertise. All of which our clinicians can avail themselves of and can reach out to particular organizations to get um, information about. But it's not a quick fix. If it's going to happen, a group has to be really committed to it and has to be in it for the long haul. Great. So our next question is from Deb. And she says, I am wondering if you ever see people that experience benefits or grow as a result of their experience with moral injury. I always struggle when people ask this question because it's really it's it's like looking at the pandemic and trying to see the silver lining in it this is a difficult experience and it may take a little while and you may need to get distance on it before you can see benefit in it um but i also think back to a, a supervisor of mine in residency and probably the his the best line i ever heard in my four years of training was we all need negative role models. And so, and not that moral injury is a negative role model, but it's one of those things where when you look back on the experience, you think this has taught me a lot about maybe what I want to move away from rather than moving towards, what's what the hard parts of practice that I would like to either minimize or try to eliminate for my patients or for myself, and maybe how I would like to become a different leader and engage in change or advocacy in a different way. I think that's exactly right. There are, there are some positive things, but they need distance, and they're an opportunity to improve what we do going forwards. And um, interestingly... Uh, for, uh, Jane Kim, Dr. Jane Kim, who was the emergency physician in New York, she mentioned one of her responses to the moral injury she experienced in the first wave of the of the of the pandemic was to reprioritize what what she thought was important in her life, and I think that was a really for her. Um, it was necessary, but it also she was viewing it as a positive. Our next question is, how can I get involved? So again, one of the questions we get asked a lot is, is exactly this. What can I do to make a difference? And um, we say that at the end of every one of our podcasts, but we would love you to come to our website. We'd love you to uh, keep listening to us and, uh, and send us your questions. Send us the things that you're interested in and get involved with us. Um, I mean, I think that's certainly a, a really um, proactive way that you can um, participate in some of the change that we're trying to bring about. Yeah, if you have if you have questions, um, you don't have to wait for the NAS next Ask Us Anything. Um, we answer questions every day of the week, so we're happy to engage and connect with you. 
So we have a question from Bob, who is a chaplain, and he asks, without getting lost in an ether world of abstract concepts, I wonder what moral framework surrounds the problem of moral injury. I think that, that when you talk about morals, people often think about the religious overtones to morality, but there's no question that you can have secular morality, that you can have morals that are totally independent of any religious framework for those morals. And so while um, the issue of uh, morality in something like healthcare does, for some people, bring up religious overtones, it doesn't have to. Um, and similarly, dealing with moral injury uh, doesn't have to have a religious bent to it. It can simply be, this is something that in my world, in my worldview, either seems right or wrong or not quite right. Um, and so I think you don't have to have the framework of any particular religion overlying it. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We want to thank everybody um, who has been listening to us uh, as we've now reached 2,000 downloads. So that's a milestone that we're both proud of and very grateful for your help achieving. We also really want to thank the folks who sent in questions and voice memos today. It's great that we're building a community that is so engaged and we're all looking for answers together. And if you want to continue the conversation, you can find us on Facebook at Moral Injury of Healthcare. Instagram at Moral Injury. Twitter at WDeanMD and Simon Talbot MD. And we now have an additional Twitter handle at FixMoralInjury. And if you're listening to the podcast, thanks for doing that. Share it with your friends. Download, subscribe, rate it, review it. It helps other people find us. Our next episode will drop in four weeks. And that episode will be with Andrea Levine, who's a pulmonary critical care physician on the front lines in Baltimore. Until then, stay well. Thank you.